Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over 200 different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. Spring has definitely sprung because I'm feeling those seasonal allergies, so excuse the super nasal tone as you're listening to today's episode. I'm really excited for our conversation where I get to speak with Dana Miranda, who is a certified educator in personal finance. She's an author and a personal finance journalist. Dana created a platform called Healthy Rich, which is a platform for inclusive, budget-free financial education. Dana brings us work to all types of organizations, schools, and companies that are dedicated to changing the way money is being talked about so that it can be more inclusive for everyone. In today's conversation, Dana and I focus on this idea around conscious spending, being conscious and aware and present with our money, what comes in, what goes out, how we're making choices and the system in which we are making choices. This topic obviously feels so aligned with what we practice here at Centered in the City, how we get to pause and make more conscious and intentional choices in the busyness of life. Talking about money and our relationship to money is such an empowering conversation. We all hold a lot of beliefs about money based on how we were raised or what we saw around us. Some of us might have been educated around money. I know I wasn't. Or maybe we have specific cultural influences and beliefs. So as you listen to today's conversation, I welcome you to really reflect on your own beliefs around money, to think about your relationship to conscious spending. You'll learn what that is in a moment. And at the end of this interview, I will also share some reflection prompts so that you can further take this awareness into your life and turn it into some powerful intentional action steps. So let's settle in and let's get centered. Dana, welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Wade. I'm excited to dive into our topic today of money, conscious spending, a relationship to our money. But before we get into that, I'd love to hear what is like a practice that you do on a daily basis that that supports you, that's your kind of grounding anchor to your day. I start my day with some kind of movement. Um, which is pretty broad because it's just changed over the years. I definitely get into 
a routine. Um, for several years, I started yoga was the first thing I did when I woke up in the morning. And then I found that wasn't working quite as well. I wanted to warm my muscles up a little bit more before getting into that. And so this past winter, I got a treadmill for the first time, um, which has been really important because I live in Wisconsin. And so winter can very much be just this like hibernation time and I don't move and I'm just inside and it's dark for a lot of the day. And so this year I got a treadmill and I've been walking at least 20 minutes on the treadmill every morning instead of what I do when the weather is nicer, which is take a walk outside. And so that's been really kind of game changing for me. And I probably will continue it when the weather gets nicer too, because it gives me that movement without any of the concern about the weather or like putting on clothes that I can be in my neighborhood in or anything. I can just pop into my basement and get some movement, listen to a podcast, whatever to wake up in the morning. And I really love that. So I start with that movement. And then I, now I've, I've been doing yoga after that too, but it just really kind of helps to wake me up, get blood flowing and kind of energy moving through my body um, and definitely wake up my brain. I like listening to a podcast or audiobook while I walk too, because it kind of, I think there's science behind like the connections that that makes when, when you're moving. And so it's just a really great way to kind of enter the day, feel a little bit of my body, feel a little bit of strength and accomplishment and know, you know, that I can take on whatever comes with the rest of the day. I love that. I'm a huge fan of getting a morning walk in. I try to do something called sunrise chasing in the morning to just get myself like out the door, connected to light, connected to the elements. But I totally hear you in the Midwest. I went to school in Michigan, winter yes. times like you need. So to just have that movement available for you. And I love a few things that you're highlighting of like one, paying attention to your body. Yoga didn't work for you in the morning anymore so that you gave yourself permission to switch it up and find a solution to cut out that decision fatigue of like, let me just get a treadmill in my basement. And so it's easy in a way for me to connect to my body, wake up my mind, get the blood flowing. A hundred percent, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And just remove, because it's first thing in the morning, like remove any of the barriers. Um, and it was really tough because I did yoga every single day for like three and a half years without fail. Like if I was wow. sick or if I was on vacation or whatever, I just made myself do it for at least five minutes or something, you know, just to kind of check it off the list and like not break that chain. And so when I started to recognize that it wasn't right anymore, it took me a really long time to change and find a different uh, different kind of routine for myself because I had really attached myself to that habit. But it's actually been helpful, like in this past week, I was sick and I didn't do that movement first thing in the morning because I was too tired. And so I was just resting and it was also helpful to having that routine kind of shows like when I break it, I can also sort of celebrate like taking care of myself and doing that. So I'm, that's a little newer for me is starting to be able to break that chain and recognize the strength in that too. Um, and know that like now I'm back, you know, this week I'm back to it. So it's, um, it's been kind of important to like see both sides of that coin too. I love your emphasis on that because I think a lot of people are motivated by the streak, staying, staying addicted to the streak, getting that daily check mark, not wanting to break that pattern and to recognize like you can break that pattern because you are helping yourself by listening to your body that it needed rest, especially while you were sick. And you can jump back in when you're ready yes. or it may look different. Yeah, I think that's always the fear with 
breaking a streak is you feel like then you're never going to be able to do it again. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind of the lesson that I had to learn is that I can listen to my body and, and what I need and be able to get back to what, it, what feels good at whatever time. So I think this is a beautiful segue into this conversation around money because we're talking about energy. We're talking about paying attention. And so I'd love to hear what your definition and motivation for creating your body of work of Healthy Rich is. So my motivation, it's really part of a journey um, that I'm still on and still kind of learning a lot and figuring out exactly what this is. But I, for years, worked as a personal finance journalist. I started as a staff writer with a digital media startup um, and wrote for a personal finance site for four years. And that's where I really learned about personal finance at all. I didn't have any really money education going going into that other than sort of growing up um, in a working class family. My messages around money were really just like avoid debt and work hard and spend as little as possible. Um, be, be frugal, essentially. So I didn't like that. And so in my 20s, I just kind of considered myself bad with money and I took on debt and you know didn't think about what I was spending and did work that I enjoyed rather than thinking about making money at all. Um, and so I just thought that those were kind of the options. And then I started working in personal finance and learning more about, a lot about what was interesting to me was a lot about how our financial systems work. Like when I first started, I remember learning what makes up a credit score. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is for everyone. This is how this works. Like this is, it's like unlocking, it's like finding a key, you know, to something that's been locked and and kind of held away from you that I was able then to make decisions within that because I knew all of the elements that sort of went into this formula. And so that was really exciting to me because I realized that I could, I didn't have to just be bad with money because the lessons that I'd learned growing up didn't work for me, that I could learn how these things worked and make the decisions within the systems that worked for me. And what I found was that just like kind of in my 20s, when I thought I was bad with money, I was making decisions that were essentially going against the grain that people wouldn't consider like sound financial advice or the most like responsible or kind of like wealth building direction that I could go with my money, but it was working for me. And what I didn't like, what I was seeing in personal finance media around me was that we were sort of preaching just one right way, like one correct answer for everything to do with your money. And it wasn't taking into that consideration what might be right for you. Like you were talking about understanding your energy and, and, uh, listening to yourself and knowing what's right for you in that moment. Um, it was just sort of handing down these rules of essentially pay off debt as fast as possible, budget and spend as little as possible, um, and then build wealth in any way possible. Make and, and with this sort of goal of just becoming rich, which is not really a goal for most of us. Um, and so the more I learned, the more I realized that was not really working for me. So I wanted to find a different way to talk about money. And that's why I started Healthy Rich. I just started with an invitation to others to share their stories so I could start to get new perspectives. I noticed when I was writing in personal finance media that most of the 
dominant voices around me were white men with middle-class backgrounds. And so we were missing a lot of um, LGBT people, people of color, um, voices from women of color, people with disabilities, and rural working class people like the people that I grew up around. So I just invited people to tell their stories and kind of built Healthy Rich that way to start to start on this journey of like understanding how can we talk about this differently. It's so impactful to elevate multiple voices out there because calling out that there has been one dominant voice and way to do it and a right and a wrong creates so much shame and and fear for people because if we're not doing that thing, it can shut us down and feel like you know we're not good enough or we're not connected to or smart enough to figure it out. So how beautiful that you've empowered all these different voices to share their story and to start to kind of call out that there are many ways to think about our money and how we spend it, how we save it. You also mentioned credit score. Like, I'm curious, like what does create a credit score? Cause I think that's yeah. very important education for us all to know. So one thing that a lot of people don't know about their credit score is that you actually have multiple credit scores. There's not just like one number that's handed down from on high that determines, you know, whether you get a loan or not. Um, if you look for your FICO score, which is what most people are familiar with, you might get it from like a credit card issuer or something. Um, or you look at your score through an app, or you will see your credit score if you apply for a loan or a mortgage. Um, those are all calculated using different formulas and they're all a little bit unique, but they all tend to use mostly the same few factors that they're looking at in basically your past financial behavior. So um, they're typically looking at your payment history. That's whether you're paying your bills on time. And it's specifically looking at credit card bills. Most of these don't take into account things like rent or utility bills, unless those are late and they're reported as debt to credit, um, like credit um, bureaus. So they're just looking at if you're if you're using credit or you have a loan, are you making those payments on time? And then they're looking at your total amounts owed, um, which is sometimes called your credit utilization. It's the amount of credit you have available to you compared to the amount that you owe, any balance you have. So that's usually on a credit card. If you have like a credit limit, um, how much of a balance you're carrying compared to that. And then the length of your credit history. So how long have you been taking out loans, using credit cards, anything like that, um, just because the longer you've been doing that, the more reliable any information that the formula has, um, it will be. And then your credit mix, which is, do you have a variety of different products? So mortgage, student loans, personal loans, uh, different kinds of credit cards, auto loans, um, they're looking for a little bit of a mix and that makes it a small, a small difference. But if you have a variety of products that can be a little bit better for your credit score and then new credit, which is like any applications for new credit, credit card, mortgage, loan, if you put that in and they do, you might've heard what's called a hard credit check. It means that a lender or a creditor is pulling your credit history and analyzing it because you've specifically requested for new credit from them. Um, if that's happening a lot, that can temporarily lower your score. So that weighs in a little bit. Um, but the biggest ones that you're looking at are that payment history that you're paying your bills on time 
and the amounts owed um, to make sure that you're not sort of maxing out your available credit constantly and and being at a higher risk of not being able to pay it back. Mm. Okay, so it's this big system having our credit score. There are many layers and it's kind of like watching you from many different angles of your your spending behavior. I remember yes. my dad, I think I was a senior in college, maybe a junior in college. And he told me I need to get a credit card. And that scared me because I was like, I don't have income. How am I going to be creating and making sure that I'm paying for my credit card bills. And, you know, I saw, I think a documentary in high school, like really early on where it was like, don't get credit cards. You know, how younger people were totally these victims of getting credit cards and falling into yes. debt and not knowing they were in debt. And so it scared me from credit cards. Like credit cards feel, had this like scary energy, but of course this is a system and having a credit score is a system that we live in right in order to buy a home or or collect wealth we have to work within that system so how what is conscious spending because i know you are very passionate in your work about coming at spending and our money from a place of of conscious and energy connection versus this budget fear organizational structure that we have been living in and know very well. So talk to us about like the, the difference in approaches. Think of conscious spending. It's sort of my answer to uh, anti-budgeting. So I'm, I talk about what's called budget culture, which is kind of a catch-all term for the way that we approach personal finance. The, what I was describing before, which is we're focused on this one right answer. And that one right answer is often focused on restriction. How can we rein in our spending? How can we be frugal, spend less, not take on debt? And so I'm anti-budgeting and I say um, that we should just sort of take that off the table in the way that we manage our personal finances. And so then the question that comes to me is with that fear, if I'm not budgeting, how do I manage my money? And so I talk about conscious spending as a way to be able to spend to be, to be able to buy what you want, to spend and use your money in the ways that you want without that restriction while understanding what it is that you want. That's kind of the catch-all. So it's not, and it's a little bit tricky, sort of like with intuitive eating you talk about in, in diet culture, that for a lot of people, if you're coming to it with a sort of diet mindset, you can approach intuitive eating like another diet and treat it as a way to restrict what you eat. Um, you can, you do have to come to conscious spending with that sort of back understanding of like, this is not, the goal is not restriction. The goal is not to restrict what you buy and how you use your money. It's to find ease and joy in the way that you use your money, um, without relying on that restriction. So it's about following your energy and your inner voice and, and using your intuition to make those spending decisions rather than sort of setting yourself up with a spreadsheet of what you're allowed to do or looking to someone else to create those rules about how you're allowed to spend and use money. 
Right. So within this conscious spending framework, it's not like, oh, I get to just spend and it magically just appears because like, this is what I want. And this brings me joy. It's like, you're saying like, be grounded in a sense of like, what's flowing in, what's flowing out of your bank account, but making your choices from a place of intuition versus what is my Excel doc telling me I can allocate for this month. Yes. And there's a little bit of an abundance mindset to it as well, because the, the fear immediately comes in. If you're not going to set a restriction, how can you trust yourself not to overspend, which is not really a term that I like either, um, that you have to trust that you're going to make the decisions that are going to work for you. And th there's a lot tied into that in the way that I approach personal finance and the way that I teach financial education, because there's also you also have to adopt beliefs about debt being morally neutral and using community and government resources as morally neutral and those kinds of things that um, if your income isn't sufficient to for the things that you need to spend money on and the ways that you need to use your money, then you need to expand those resources with those other things like um, government resources and debt and things that allow you to have ease and joy in the way that you're experiencing life without, you know, without falling back on restriction, because what budget culture and the way that we typically teach money management wants to do is to restrict you based on very simply like the income that you're able to earn. And there are all kinds of systemic restrictions on how much income you can earn based on your background and experience and your identity and things that are completely out of your control. So you can't, we can't start there because that there's inequity automatically built into that system. You mentioned the sense of like fear and restriction, and I have done a lot of energy, money work, challenging, my, challenging my beliefs, but it's still there. It is a daily practice. And for the last six plus months, my husband and I have been in some financial shifting of things that... I notice I go from this place of abundance and we're going to, we're going to figure it out. And, you know, our buckets are filled. So why am I anxious to like fear, you know, I just ways to fear. And then I feel myself get really tight and restrictive around what are we spending on and the not enough conversation. And then it goes back to, oh, abundance and flow. And for instance, I was with a girlfriend the other weekend and we went to this wholesale, like flower sale that was happening. And I wasn't really prepared. I was like, oh, I could use, we could use some more, few little more plants here. I walked out spending $80 on a vase and some dried flowers. And I was like, what did I just do? You know, and I've noticed it didn't feel conscious. It felt a little reactive because there was a sale happening and there was mm -hmm. mayhem in the store and that scarcity of like, oh my God, if I don't pick up something, it's going to be gone feeling. You know, and at a time where my husband and I are trying to be a little bit more conscious about what we're spending, I felt some shame of like, oh my God, I just dropped $80. Like I would have rather have spent that on a nice dinner out or save that or put that to a massage or something else that might have been more beneficial. How can, I don't know, I guess like help me here and how would I practice being with those decisions in a more conscious framework? It sounds like in some ways you already are a little bit, which makes sense because you're, you know, this um, mindfulness and consciousness is, is really 
part of your daily practice. So thank you for the acknowledgement. <laughs> yes. And because you're looking at that, the experience of that decision, you you kind of are already doing that. I think th- this is the big challenge with managing money in a mindful, easeful, joyful way in general, because we live in a culture that will tell us from every angle that we're not enough, that from the income side, we're not earning enough. We can always be earning more. We should be working harder. We should be working more. We should be working longer hours, asking for more money that we should be bringing in more. And then on the other side that we don't have enough that we need to consume, you know, we are not enough. And so there's all these things we can consume to make us enough, which is never, you know, is, is very ill-defined and never really exists, but And then also that we are not worthy of those purchases at the same time, that whatever we're doing on the income side isn't enough to make us worthy of those purchases. So we're constantly in this swirling, like, you know, fishbowl of trying to find that balance. So it's really hard, first of all, and I think that's important to acknowledge that it's hard to just quiet all of that and tune into yourself. I also am constantly having those, that back and forth, the way you are, where it feels like things are very much in flow and, and then for some reason, having nothing to do with really external forces, it feels like things suddenly constrict and I'm feeling that fear and scarcity. And that's, it's largely just a feeling and I'm reacting to it. So you have to kind of start by acknowledging that this is the the world that we're living in. You're, you are constantly sort of battling these messages because this is how our culture approaches money because there's there are people, there are forces that benefit, you know, there's a system that benefits from us never feeling like enough because we put in more labor and we purchase more goods and services. But what you're doing, the kind of reflection that you're doing, I think is is really the best way to start is to recognize what it feels like when you use your money in certain ways. Um, And again, I think this is going to be a journey for everyone. We probably can't fully have this conversation in the span of this this interview because a lot of people are going to come to this from that mindset of restriction first to think like um to to feel guilt over that purchase um and then to to start to sort of come up with a laundry list of reason, reasons why it was the wrong thing but that's not necessarily the case. So I think just reflecting on how you use money, why you used it the way you do, like, you know, you might find there were plenty of very conscious reasons why it felt right to buy that at that time, um, even though the sale is probably what triggered it because you didn't go intending to do that. Um, going with a grocery list isn't the only, you know, reason to purchase something. It might be because of the way it made you feel in that moment, because it felt good to support that vendor that you didn't know existed until you got there, that you were thankful that they had things on sale because you might not have been able to support them or to afford those things otherwise, that there's lots of very sort of intuitive reasons that that kind of consumption can also be the right thing for you in that moment. But that has to be sort of a con- a constant practice so that it gets just like sort of any mindfulness so that the moment between the kind of decision and the understanding of the decision gets uh, gets smaller and smaller so that you're, as you're making a decision, that you're doing it more consciously. You're having a 
able to sort of tap into that intuition a little bit quicker and, mm -hmm. and feel what is right for you in that moment. So to build that practice is really just like any sort of mindfulness practices that you are probably regularly talking about in this space. So yoga and meditation and prayer and journaling and kind of whatever helps you or like the movement that I talked about earlier kind of helps you get centered and, and tap into your kind of inner knowing. I love that you just mentioned guilt because I talk about this on the podcast with my clients. I mean, guilt is just such a prevalent emotion that comes up for us, especially as you just called out the not enough culture that we swirl and we live in. And one of the helpful ways that I deal with guilt and I teach my clients this is to recognize that guilt is an empty emotion. It's just there to be a teacher. And yet we hold so much identification of guilt to our identity. And really I look at guilt as like what values were in conflict there. So maybe, so even you just calling out that the guilt was there, I was like, oh yeah, like that helped me name like, oh yeah, there was some guilt and to recognize, oh, there's some guilt on my spending, you know, that I could have used it for something else. But there's also this desire to have something beautiful and pretty in in our home and the space. And yes, there was the pressure cooker of a sale happening. Mm -hmm. But to recognize that conflict of like saving for maybe something more intentional or beneficial in the long run, and also this desire for beauty, this value. So like noticing and being able to recognize these clashing values, I think is huge because I, I have to choose sometimes, right? We right. sometimes can't it can't be a both and all of the times. And sometimes we have to choose and then we have to be okay with the choice that we made because, hey, the choice we made was the best choice we could make in that moment with the information we had. Exactly. And that's really the message that you get from budget culture, this idea of there being one right answer extends into that moment. That's why it's so hard to talk about mindful and conscious and intuitive actions in any way in our culture, because we're so looking for just, we want to grade like on the thing that we did. Did I do it right? Did I do it right? And how can I do it right? Continue to do it right more often in the future. But it, you really only can know that something is right in the moment that you did it. And then the next moment comes and you might feel a different way about it. And you just have to feel that in that moment and continue to do that. So how can you make it right? You can't go back and not spend that money. So the only answer is that it was the right thing for you to do. And what can you do going forward to continue to make it feel right, you know, in every kind of subsequent moment. Um, and that's why I focus on like on ease and joy. So that decision having been made, how can you continue to add ease and joy in your experience? Yeah. And it becomes those choices become feed forward for our next choice, right? So right. like the next sale I walk into, can I maybe pause a little bit more and check in with myself knowing that a past choice maybe came from a little bit more of this reactive energy and can I slow that down? I even think going to the grocery store is a great example. Like sometimes you go in with a laundry list of what you're going to buy. And then just the energy of the grocery store, the stimulation of the products, the lights, the people, mm -hmm. 
it just starts to tantalize some other senses. Like for instance, yesterday I went to the grocery store with like four things on the list. And I think I came home with like 10, which is not that bad, but I noticed like, oh, this pickled sauerkraut looks really good. And that was not on my list, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was kind of like a more expensive purchase. So I'm kind of hearing even in this grocery store experience and, and spending consciously to take that moment to pause of like, oh, does this sauerkraut bring me ease and joy? And and if it does, welcome it into my basket. And if it doesn't, leave it out. Absolutely. As long as you're careful not to make that a way of restricting what goes into your basket, go into the entire experience with that level of consciousness. There's That's why it's, there's so many sort of layers to it. So if you start by understanding the kind of system around it. And I, I use system as sort of like process or, you know, um, mechanism around something. So like when you go into a grocery store, any kind of retail environment, you can read a lot about the marketing that is used in those situations that carries you through the store in a certain way and prompts you to make certain purchasing decisions as a consumer. And we live in this consumer culture where we are just constantly surrounded by this, regardless of, you know, if you go to a farmer's market, like they are also reading about how to market their goods to people like their your, your decisions are constantly being influenced. So understanding that that is happening is a really great step to being sort of mindfully in that experience. So sometimes I know that when I go, like my partner and I love to just like go to a convenience store on a snack run. And we know that when we go, it's going to be bright lights and colors and, and, you know, we're going to be marketed to, and I'm going to want candy and chips and all these things. And, and it costs three times as much as it would if I got it in bulk at the grocery store or something like that's the experience that we're going for, because it's like a, literally a kid in a candy store. Like I'm just That's why I'm doing that. That's the experience that I want. And so you can do that consciously. It's not about restricting yourself from those decisions that are labeled as bad and only allowing yourself to do the things that you label as good, but it's about understanding the forces that are involved in the experience that you're having. So you can be, you know, as conscious as possible. Like you can be a consumer. That's the culture that we live in. So you don't have to fight those forces all the time. Um, It's just helpful to know that they exist and and how they, how they exist in your life. So we get to consume wisely. I, I love that lens of be conscious of the system that you're walking into. And I think that's a, a huge aha for me right now is like, yeah, we are constantly being marketed to. And can we just pay attention so that we can be the one making the choice versus it being the flux of colorful packaging and all that stuff that's trying to attack my brain and attention? Like, can I grab hold of my attention and make that choice? I love that. Yeah. And that's where I think that dissonance, um, I'm not a psychologist, but I think that's probably where the dissonance comes from of when those decisions don't feel right for you is what you were talking about is like understanding where the values are in conflict is if you're not conscious of that, you don't see which values are in conflict, but it is still happening in your body. And so you're feeling that conflict. You just don't know why or what it is. And that can cause people to turn to some set of rules because that you want someone to tell you like what is not feeling right in this situation and how can I make it right? Right. And can you, you being the system out there, like give me 
going back to like that letter grade or give me some sense of orientation of where am I and how am I doing on the spectrum of life? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And we could go deeper down this. It's not even a rabbit hole deeper Mm -hmm. into this conversation because I think there's so much layered here around just even how I see a lot of people practice rituals in their life is if I didn't do it, then I'm not enough, you know, and, and that constant choice paradigm that we have and how we can be with ourselves and talk to ourselves in a much kinder, more compassionate way as we're navigating choices in life. Um, So I love this framework of conscious spending. Dana, thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom and insights. Where can people learn more about you and stay connected? So my favorite way to stay connected with people is through my newsletter on Substack. So if you go to www.healthyrich.co, um, that'll take you right to the Substack where you can read our blog, um, the stories from people, like I mentioned, sharing their experiences and perspectives on money, as well as um, some of my articles digging deeper into a lot of the concepts that we've talked about here. And um, you can subscribe for free there as well. Amazing. Thanks so much. Yes. Thanks for having me, Wade. I welcome you to take a moment and pause and let all of that goodness just settle in your own mind and body and ask yourself with a lot of curiosity and kindness, how do I typically consume? And what I mean by this is how do you make your own purchase choices? Does it feel reactive based on influence from social media? Is it more of a conscious choice where you save monthly? Is it a collaborative decision with a family member or your partner? Is it coming from fear, restriction? Just take a moment and check in with yourself and notice. And based off of what you learned in today's discussion and exploration around conscious spending, what's one tiny action step you want to take this next week to be just maybe even 5% more conscious with your spending? Maybe it's you want to practice pausing before you put in your credit card information online. Maybe you want to take a moment before you walk in the grocery store to think about how the grocery store is psychologically set up for purchasing. Maybe decide to walk in the exit versus the entrance. Whatever it might be, just what do you want to do this next week that brings some conscious awareness, some mindful awareness to your spending power? And then share with me on Instagram, share with me what you're practicing, what you're noticing. You can share with a friend, you can be accountability buddies with somebody else and let's support each other all bringing more mindful awareness to all of our actions, including how we spend our money and how we receive our money. As always, thanks so much for being here and being a part of the Center in the City community If you wouldn't mind taking a moment to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen, that would mean the world to me. And until next time, stay centered.